Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, everybody. This is the Variety and iHeart podcast, The Big Ticket. I'm your host, Mark Malkin. Welcome to the last episode of 2020. Today we have a really special show with two guests. First up is Wonder Woman star Gal Gadot. We talk about the new Wonder Woman 1984, the possibility of a third film in the series, and Zack Snyder's much-anticipated cut of Justice League. Then later, Reggae Jean Page, star of Netflix's latest soapy series sure to be addictive, Bridgerton. We'll be right back after this short break. Welcome back to The Big Ticket. Gal Gadot is back with Wonder Woman 1984. She returns as Diana Prince slash Wonder Woman in Patty Jenkins' follow-up to their 2017 blockbuster. The release of Wonder Woman 1984 had been delayed several times before Warner Brothers announced it would hit HBO Max and theaters simultaneously on December 25th. I caught up with Gadot via Zoom to talk about the new movie, the possibility of a third film, and shooting Red Notice with Dwayne Johnson and Ryan Reynolds. Here's Gal Gadot. So let's talk about the world of Wonder Woman. So much fun. It is so much fun. You just kick ass like you always do. How happy are you that people are finally getting to see it? Super excited. Super excited. You know, the movie, we shot the movie back in 2018, and the movie was ready to be shared almost a year ago and we just kept on pushing and pushing because of you know covid and the fact that we're gonna share it with everybody right now for the holidays during the holidays is is the best feeling i'm so happy is it a political movie no i don't think it's a political movie I think there are some political elements just because it's the nature of the world and we're dealing with some subjects that can easily be, you know, connected to, to, to politics. But the movie is not about politics. The movie is, is, is about, about something super, about something that is much more simple. It's about truth and the power of truth um, and, and about hope. You know, isn't that about politics today? That's what I'm saying. It's it's a mixture of everything. I think that politics is a side effect of everything because it's the world that we're living in. Right. But it always comes from the, you know, it always starts with us, with the people, with humanity. And then it 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 diffuses all the way up to politics and the people who controls the world. What do you say um, when you hear people say that Maxwell Lord is Donald Trump? And I'm just going to say that one line. He says, I'm not a con man. I'm a television personality and a businessman. How could we not think it's Donald Trump? 
You know, it's interesting because when we shot it, we, we didn't really think about it until we got to the White House and then we're like, hmm. Um, but it all started, Max, Maxwell Lord has so many different, um, so many different versions in the comic world, in the comic books. And I think that Patty and Dave and Jeff, the, the writers, um, really took Gordon Gecko's um, personality. Mm-hmm. But the thing about Maxwell Lord in our movie unlike the comics is that he's more complex because he's not just a villain and even evil villain he is a regular person who wants to be all these things that you would think that you would see on tv and 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 all of that and i think and i know from pedro while we were shooting the movie that at a certain point he just focused on the page and what was there. And along with Patty, they just created this, this character. But we never tried to mimic anybody, anybody else. We never tried to mimic Trump or anything. And is there a message in the movie of careful what you wish for? Yeah, that's, the, that's, the, that's what it's all about, really. Because again, we're living, you know, back in 2018 or even 2017, 2018, before the script was written, Patty and I already discussed the story for this movie while we were shooting the first Wonder Woman back in 2016. Okay, so back before we knew anything. But both of, and we felt like the Wonder Woman saga should be like the Bible, like she should have a Bible. So the first saga, the first chapter was about love. And this was the birth of a hero, the first Wonder Woman, humanity and all of that. And with the second one, when we discussed uh, the plot for the second one, we already felt the world was going to a dark place. And we wanted to touch upon that. So... Of course, as, as you know, someone who gets to make these type of movies, we know that we have this opportunity to use this huge tentpole and this huge IP that is a household name everywhere. And we want to do to have an added value for it and not just make an entertainment and a movie that is entertaining, but we always aspire to have like a profound message that we believe in. And this is something that Patty and I are super in line with. Like mm. from the very first moment we just sat together and we we're talking about life and our and what's important and how we view the world and all we're super on the same page. So with us, we just wanted to use this tentpole and try to maybe touch upon people's heart and, 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 and remind them of what we believe is important. Mm. And I think that in the past, you know, few years, truth and, 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 and fake news and all of these issues had been, had been a hot potato, a hot topic. And we wanted to touch upon the place where, when, when is it too much? When are we really like, we just want more or, and we're not thinking about what's the cost of, of our want, right. you know, if it makes sense. Mm-hmm. Well, <laughs> one of the things that I kept thinking about is, you know, the movie's coming out now. If the movie came out when it was supposed to, we would be looking at it through a much different lens. 
prison. It yeah, really, I agree with you. really changes. Isn't it crazy? You know, I feel like, you know, obviously, you know, critics of Trump, you know, people who don't support him would look at it before the election as really scary. Like, oh, my God, the world could be like this. Where now, after the election, knowing that Trump's not going to be in office anymore, it just takes on a different vibe. Does that make sense? I feel like the movie, regardless of Trump, I think with everything that happened just in the past year, year, we could have never anticipated how relevant the movie would be. Because now when everyone had time to reflect on their lives, And we've all been suffering from this pandemic and and its implications on our lives. I think that we're more connected to our deeper selves. We're more connected to our compass, our inner compasses. And that's why I think the movie is is has the potential to hit on a very you know um, lo- loud. Um, nerve. Yeah. Now I have to talk to you about the 80s because I'm a child of the 80s. I noticed they didn't put you in too much 80s-ish. You had some of the high pants. I saw some shoulder pads. and shoulder pads. I was going to say some shoulder pads. big hair. Oh, the 80s were bigger hair than that. (laughs) (laughs) The 80s were bigger hair than that. the good stuff from the 80s. See, I'm from New York. I'm from Queens. Hair was that big. Not that big, not big. Aquanet. Different standards. (laughs) But I noticed, you know, they put Kristen Wiig, they put her in the whole aerobics thing, but they stayed away with that, with you. Was that on purpose, do you think? Or you tell me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We felt that Diana should be, should should always look timeless. Mm, you know right um so we wanted her to look that to look timeless and to look elegant but to look like she's you know in the 80s so we were very precise about uh her looks and how much did you laugh every time chris put on one of the when he put on the parachute band i used to it he loved it he's the only one who can pull off this look honestly (laughs) uh but but in real life he actually got himself his own fanny pack and he used to ride bicycle around the sets or locations wherever we were and come visit us. And he completely looked like someone from the 80s. He loved the whole fashion and style that he that at the time oh. he was using it for his personal life. And it and it looked good on him. He's a method actor. That's what yeah, it is. Exactly. <laughs> his method. Um, when did you find out that uh, Warner Brothers, Warner Media wanted to put it on HBO Max? and in the theaters at the same time. When did that those discussions start? Uh, a few weeks before uh, we announced. Um, that was, that was you know, it wasn't an easy decision, mm. but we started discussing this a few weeks before the announcement. Were you surprised then when they made the further announcement that all the movies were going to HBO Max, that, you know, people like Christopher Nolan were not happy and saying that filmmakers weren't being treated um, fairly? Yeah, they're right. Yeah. So you knew about everything. No, I did. I had no idea about the entire slate for right, 2021. Right. The discussion that we had was personal only about our project. Hmm. Um, but yeah, I was surprised by the announcement as well. Do you think 
doing things like this, I know it's only supposed to be a year plan, but people are going to get really used to watching movies in their living room. I'll tell you what. So I remember when, when music became super accessible on mm -hmm. Spotify and Apple and all of that, everyone were worried that what, what is it going to do to the concerts and everything. Whenever there's a good concert of, of you know, an artist that I love, I would always prefer going to, going to the concert. There's nothing that can replace the experience of being there live and hearing it in the right volume with the atmosphere and, and all the people and the crowd. So that's how I feel about, um, about uh, moviegoers as well, because I remember a few years back, someone showed me a research that out of all the population of the world, only 11% of the people go to the cinema mm. and they are the movie lovers, okay? It's not a big percentage no. when you think about it. And I don't think that's going to change. I think people still want to have the full 360 event of enjoying, um, you know, a movie in the cinema. Mm. So I think that's going to be back. Uh, I think that the whole pandemic kind of accelerated what was what the streamers were already about to, you know, where, where, where they were already heading. Mm. Um, but, I'm, but I'm convinced that once the pandemic is over, it's going to be the, the theaters will be back to, to self. I just hope that they they have the, you know, the ability to survive yeah. until that happens. So when do you start shooting number three? I don't know. It's interesting because it's all together. We don't talk about it yet. We have really? no idea. You never know. I would love to do another one if the story is great and with Patty, of course. But I don't know. We'll have to wait and see. Patty has talked about she wanted to take a break from working on it because she wanted to see the impact of COVID-19 on the world. So it'll be interesting to see yeah. where yeah. that goes. Yeah. Because we want to see a third movie. You want to see a third movie? Yes. Huh? I, wa I want to see a third movie too, to have like a nice closure. A trilogy. Oh, who said closure at number three? <laughs> number four, number five. Um, Schneider, Zach Schneider cut for Schneider. Schneider. Why do I keep saying that? I'm a Jew. <laughs> I should know these things. Let's talk about that. How excited are you that the world is going to see his, what his version of the movie was going to be? I'm very excited. I'm very happy for him that he got the opportunity to, to, you know, to show his own version of the movie. So I'm super excited and I can't wait to watch it. Now, did you have to do any reshoots with him or he was able to take everything you did and you're all good? No, I was all good. <laughs> That's how easy is that job? <laughs> I know it's the best, right? Didn't have to shoot one more day. Crazy. Um, and Warner, you know, announced that they finished an investigation into Justice League. Were you part of that investigation at all? Were you surprised there even was. Was, was one? And are you happy with how they're, how they said remedial action, which we all, of course, don't know what that means? I don't know what, what that means either, but I know that they've done a very thorough uh, investigation, even just by how much time I spent with them. Um, and, and yes, I'm, I'm curious to, to know what's going to be the outcome. And then Ryan Reynolds and The Rock. Yes. Okay. They're like two of the biggest pranksters, jokesters, 
What did they do to you? What did they do? Honestly, we didn't do. It's funny because we shot the movie. We started the movie back, I think, January of this year. And we were shooting for a few weeks and then COVID hit and we halted everything. So when we came back uh, on August or September, it was such a different environment to be working on. They're the best and I adore them and, and I loved working with them. But the, you know, we shot in such crazy, the entire crew had to be sequestered and had to be away from their families. And the, the, you know, just the atmosphere on set is always filled with tension because people are so worried about COVID and everyone looks like spacemen because they're wearing all the PPE and it's crazy. <laughs> so we had a lot of fun working on the movie, but we didn't prank. We felt like there was no room to be too goofy because the time was serious um but but i'm so happy we got to finish the movie because it's such a weird feeling to to start to shoot a movie and then stop for eight months so i'm happy we got to finish it and i'm so happy that i got to do this movie with them because they're the best as a crazy action yes there's some crazy action so how much <laughs> your life in the military prepare you for all of this action work it didn't really. One would think like military, it sounds so, you know, what, what you would think it would be. But honestly, I think that more than anything, the fact that I was a dancer for 12 mm. years before, that's what helps me with all the stunt work because it's all about learning the choreographies and the timing and it's all about the movement. So I think that that's something that really helped me. Did you ever get hurt playing Wonder Woman? Mm, of course. <laughs> After, okay, let me tell you this. Now I can talk about this freely. But when we premiered with the first Wonder Woman, I had just had Maya. She was eight weeks. And I just, and it was right after we finished shooting Wonder Woman and Justice League, had Maya, had a major hernia, hernia in my back. So the whole six weeks of the press that we did, I, I couldn't sit. I could only lie down or stand up. So if you go back now and you see all of my interviews, I'm always standing. I remember that. Mm -hmm. And when the movie premiered, finally on June 6th, I think it was, I was in the OR <laughs> getting my back fixed, okay? And in this one, on this one, uh, I, I hurt my neck and my shoulder. It just, it comes with a it is what it is. It's such a physical role. Like the physicality is another character that I have to play, uh, that it has its toll. So the herniated back was because of Wonder Woman and then you get, then you have a baby. Wonder Woman, Justice League. So I shot the movies, two movies for a year, over a year. So it was both of them and having a baby, boom. You are Wonder Woman. You literally are Wonder Woman. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Great seeing you. Stay safe. Be well. And um, we'll see you next time. Bye. Be well. Be safe. I'm going to take a short break, but when I return, I'll be talking to Reggae John Page, star of Netflix's new period soapy series, Bridgerton. We'll be right back. Hey, everybody. This is Jake Brennan, host of Disgraceland and the 27 Club. I want to talk to you about another podcast that I produce called Blood on the Tracks, the Phil Spector story. 
Blood on the Tracks, the Phil Spector story is a 10-episode look at the madness and genius of record producer Phil Spector. Phil Spector and the music he created shifted and shaped American culture. But behind his famous wall of sound, there was a darkness, violence, and an intense inferiority complex that those who knew him and worked with him were all too familiar with, and that led to the senseless murder of actress Lana Clarkson. With Phil's recent death in the news, Blood on the Tracks has become all the more relevant. Just like Phil Spector, this podcast sounds like nothing you've heard before, because you can't push the needle into the red without leaving a little blood on the tracks. Listen to Blood on the Tracks, the Phil Spector story on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome back to The Big Ticket. I'm your host, Mark Malkin. You may know Reggae Jean Page from his work on the 2016 miniseries Roots and Shonda Rhimes' short-lived series For the People. Now it's time for his most high-profile role to date. In Bridgerton, Shonda Rhimes' first scripted series as part of her Netflix deal, Page stars as a duke in Regency London who gets involved with a young society woman named Daphne Bridgerton. Bridgerton is not your grandmother's period piece. In this British empire, the queen is black and the aristocracy is populated with people of different ethnic backgrounds. People who you probably wouldn't see in a Jane Austen novel. The series is narrated by Julie Andrews as the voice of Lady Whistledown. And if you listen carefully, you'll hear music from Ariana Grande and Shawn Mendes being played during some of the high society opulent parties. Here's Reggae Jean Page. Congratulations on this show. It is, oh my God, so much fun. My husband and I started watching, they had sent me early and we started watching Mm. it and we didn't stop. The only time we stopped was because there Mm. were some episodes that still had some of the green screen and we didn't want it to be ruined. We really wanted to watch Uh it when it was solid. It's so good. It's, I had no idea what to expect. Oh, I'm so pleased. I'm so happy that you enjoyed it and got all that from it. Green screen or no. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, and then, you know, the music, my husband's like, wait, that's the Shawn Mendes song. Wait, that's Ariana Grande. I'm like, what? It was sneaky <laughs> like that. You know, there's, there's definitely that... a sense of fun and mischief, like, weaved throughout everything. It's in the thread of the the edit, the music, the acting, the costumes, like this, we're in a mischievous place. So have you ever read a romance novel before you got this job? I mean, I, I'm, I'm not big on uh, boxing things into genre. I think most <laughs> things are romances to various degrees. It's all about kind of how far along the dial you dial that in. Um, right. And so kind of I, the answer would be yes, I assume I have, but also I don't think I've read anything that is within the kind of romance scene box, you know? So it's my favorite thing about this job is new things and new experiences. And this is a genre that has been very, very fun to play around in. You know, it's a new show. So tell everyone, what is Bridgerton? What, what should we expect? What's the plot? What's different about it? Bridgerton is something a bit like if Jane Austen met Gossip Girl and maybe like, you know, 45 shades of gray. Um, <laughs> and so we have a lot of fun in period costume. It's set in the Regency periods in 1813. Um, it is a romance and a fantasy, and it is a big, warm Regency hug that we're delivering to you just for Christmas. It's that. <laughs> wow, they gave you those talking points. It's a hug. <laughs> Brother, don't sell me short. I gave them the talking points. <laughs> <laughs> 
It is more than a hug, though. Um, it's it it strays into various <laughs> forms of intimacy. Um, <laughs> Spoken like a Brit. <laughs> we do our best. We're very very good at our euphemism repression game, um, and that's very much kind of where we're playing here. It's the fact that everyone has the same furtive desires below the surface. It's just so much more fun when there's that bit of resistance before you can express it. And then the diversity and every person's shape, size, orientation, mm -hmm. gender is there, which is so amazing. I mean, you're playing well, I mean, a, like aristocracy. When was the last time you saw that happen in something that was based in a period piece? <laughs> well, it's very simple because everyone deserves to be there. Like I said, if it's this mm. big Regency hug at Christmas, if it is this Cinderella fantasy with great big dances and balls and jewels and dukedoms and and glamour, um, why mm. on earth would you limit who gets to receive that and who gets to play in that game? It's a great game. It's a great place to hang out and we all get to hang out and play together. You play Simon. Tell us who Simon is. <laughs> um, <laughs> Simon is a tall, dark, mysterious, shadowy, charming, thoroughly broken, problematic man um, and comes with all of the attraction and repulsion that comes along with that he's this great glamorous shadow um that needs to find himself and learn how to love and be loved and how many times did you take your shirt off in the first season i mean that's a categorization question because the difference between taking my shirt off and having my shirt taken off oh. um you know we might need multiple columns for this <laughs> uh, i am shirtless uh a little more than i have been in the past i've been sending out the warning texts to my family like the family whatsapp group is full of kind of um exclamation points and the little like flashing red light emoji just kind of going yo i know everyone's kind of excited for this but just so you know what you're getting into there is there is some derobed uh reggae going on this christmas um so a bit <laughs> so what pressure were you under to stay in shape were you, doing, were you the actor who was doing push-ups when you knew you were doing the shirtless scene? I mean, I am, <laughs> there's, there's different angles to that. Uh, there was a <laughs> lot of um, physical training for the boxing stuff anyway. I don't know if you got that far before you kind of pulled back from the green screen. And we've got these big kind of boxing set pieces of lots of horse riding. Um, so there's a lot of physical activity involved. Um, so I was kind of on the full Rocky regime for this. I was up at 5 a.m. every morning, going to the gym, meeting my trainer. He was horrible to me for an hour and a half every morning before the day started. So I kind of got my strength up just from surviving him. Um, <laughs> and that kind of did its own work. Um, and luckily the pretentious actor in me could justify that because I do always start building characters from what the physical language is. If this guy's a boxer, mm. if he's a horse rider, if he's a fencer, what does that do to the body? Like, how do you carry yourself? And so this training kind of worked in with that and took care of itself because also you are serving the audience in a genre that is about fantasy and glamour. And half of the time, my wardrobe is not wardrobe. Uh, so I had to make sure that that was tailored as well. Talk about the wardrobe of this series. I mean, it is just... It's incredible. <laughs> what was it like walking onto set one of those days where it was like a party scene and it was just like 
It was an explosion of colors and layers. It was just gorgeous. I mean, this is very much where we're at home, where we swim on this show. It's all about this delivery of the Cinderella fantasy, these kind of huge mm. set pieces where everyone's in these amazing ball gowns and the men are in these kind of these these shirts and cravats. They're not cravats, they're stocks. I got told off for this a lot <laughs> by the wardrobe department. <laughs> um, and the waistcoats and it's all kind of embroidered and fine detailed. But again, these are some of the earliest conversations I had because uh, I came straight off the plane into a wardrobe fitting um, and we started talking about, okay, well, what can we say with the wardrobe? Um, and it is in every detail because we're talking about, okay, so Simon's this kind of Byronic archetype. He's very much in the, in the vein of Lord Byron and the type of characters that he writes, who's, who's the type of character people are reading about at this point. So we were talking about his neckline is different to everyone else's because he's kind of doing this Byronic thing where he's also wearing this jewel and he's bringing these influences in from the East where he's been traveling like around Mesopotamia and around Greece. Um, and so how can we do that in what the patterns he's wearing on, what the stitching is, and every character has this kind of detail. Um, so it's both very, very bright and glamorous and shiny, but also a place where I think we relished telling the story. Was the wardrobe comfortable or looked very starched? <laughs> um, I think the short answer is no. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the longer answer is it's very layered. Um, and also, surprisingly it's probably at its least comfortable the less of it you're wearing um because the bits that you don't see tend to be when you're kind of taped in and so i went through a few days that were a little bit like that scene in the 40 year old virgin where it's kind of like okay we're done with that scene now now we've got to de-tape here and it's like okay take a deep breath um <laughs> so <laughs> uncomfortable all round, but hopefully worth it for the experience so what was the rap party like for season one? Uh, a lady couldn't possibly tell. <laughs> it was fun. It was fun. I think folks had a lot of fun. Um, it was such a celebratory type of production. Um, and we'd been through so much with so much travel. It was a very long shoot. Um, it's not an easy shoot to coordinate. And it's such a massive crew. I think at one point someone told me that we had a crew larger than Star Wars. So like we weren't doing this by half measures. Um, and so I think there's a lot to, to celebrate at the end of an experience like that. So it was, it was a fun rap party. Being in that Shonda Rhimes world, do you sort of pinch yourself sometimes and be like, what, where am I? <laughs> um, a little bit. I try to remember and practice gratitude because um, it is a very, very privileged place to be. Um, but also it's the place that I've chosen to be again because I like this company. I like these people. I like the ethos within this environment. Um, I like that whatever we're making, I know that the company behind it has human aspirations as well as corporate aspirations. They like to empower people. They like to make people feel good when they watch the shows, but also make people think about the world that they're inhabiting and how we can make that better for each other, how we can be more human for having made this uh, piece of fantasy entertainment. And that's a very, very blessed place to be, you know? Um, and so I'm very, very grateful for that um, and try not to be too cowed by it because it can be overwhelming, I suppose. This show obviously is groundbreaking in many ways. I think just a few years ago, this show would have a really hard time being made why, mm -hmm. why was it able to be made right now? Obviously Shonda Rhimes, she has a track record, but this mm -hmm. is like you said, this is something different. You're, you know, you're, 
you're really like just sort of throwing that genre up in the air and going boom. I think we're at a point where people are ready to see new versions of the world they thought they knew in all kinds of ways. I think the social conversation in the world has reached a point where people are like this, the world we thought we knew is incomplete. Um, and there are new perspectives to all the stories that we have been remaking. Um, and also we spent the last few years doing a lot of remakes. Like this is kind of the industry joke, right? It's like another remake or another sequel or another old IP being resurrected. Um, and I think that we're at a point where we are very, very hungry for new versions of stories and for reinvented versions of stories and new perspectives on things rather than necessarily just a comfortable pair of shoes to slip into. You know, we kind of want both, we want it all. And I know we joked a little bit about lots of intimacy, as you called it. Um, but did you have an intimacy coach on set? I imagine you probably did. Uh, yes, absolutely. Um, we worked with a wonderful intimacy team uh, headed by Lizzie Talbot. Um, and it frees up the work of your actors so much to have someone direct and guide you um, and protect you and look after you. It's a little bit nuts that people ever did this without one. Um, it's, you know, not impossible. You still have lots of good natured people trying to look out for each other, but it's like getting on stage and swinging a sword around and going, we'll be fine, we'll work it out. I'll try not to hit you. You don't want to be hit, do you? Good, neither do I, we'll try not to. As opposed to having someone who knows what they're doing with a sword saying, here's how you don't hit each other, you know, mm. but make it look like a real fight. Um, and it's very, very similar, it's choreography. And once you have your choreography down, you get to concentrate on doing your actual acting work, which is a gift to your actors. And then obviously the narrator of the show is a woman named Julie Andrews. Julie Andrews. And we are all in awe. What? I mean, I sent um, a rather angry message to a couple of my friends at Shondaland when that was announced because I had no warning whatsoever. I found out on Twitter and I was like, you can't do this to me. I was on the train. I was like coming back from a boxing training session. And I was kind of, I literally, I, I yawped on the train. I was like, ah! And everyone kind of turned and looked at me and they're like, ah, I, nothing. I mean, I, <laughs> I can't tell you. And then just kind of melted into my seat in embarrassment. Um, but it's incredibly exciting. It is an almost stupidly perfect casting and we're all lucky <laughs> to bask in its glow. Well, thank you very much, sir. This is great. It was nice meeting you virtually. Likewise. Absolute pleasure. Thank you. Bye. That was Reggae Jean Page. Bridgerton drops on Netflix on December 25th. Thanks for listening to this week's Big Ticket, and thanks for listening to this year's Big Ticket. 2020 is a year like no other. The suffering and pain that people have endured has been catastrophic. So I'm grateful anytime you decide to tune into the podcast. Here's to the holidays and the light that we hope is at the end of this very dark tunnel. Be safe, be well, and please keep wearing your masks. See you in 2021. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? 
No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.